0: Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'll be reading the first two verses, and then join me in reading the Great Commission, which is the text in bold. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus dropped in on our world, he started something that meant to keep going. Now it's our turn to keep the message moving, to reach, to grow, to equip others until Jesus returns. Get ready to hear exactly what Jesus said we need to do. Someone once said, it takes a village I like to think of the passage we're going to study this morning as when Jesus takes a village. We are here to make disciples. And disciple-making begins by making intentional contact with the lost people in order to tell them about Jesus. Then we help them to publicly identify with Jesus as Lord and Savior through baptism. And then we help them live the kind of life Jesus prescribes for his followers. Jesus is our model disciple-maker. He began the work, but after his resurrection and before his ascension, he commissioned us to join him in order to complete the work and carry on the work until his return. Jesus was really good at making disciples, and we can learn from his example, and this, we can benefit from what he did because he was really good at it. I especially want to learn how Jesus actually did the go preach part of the Great Commission because I think that's the challenge for us as a church right now. The five S's capture what the go preach part of the Great Commission looks like. Seek, make intentional contact with outsiders. See, look past appearances to discern points of pain and a yearning for grace. Share, fellowship with those who need Jesus serve use practical and selfless service to make what you say credible and speak use your words to explain how the gospel can take someone to a new and better place. This morning we're going to look at a passage that gives us a step-by-step account of how Jesus actually used all five of these go preach tools and then became the instrument of an amazing people movement so john 4 verses 1 through 43 record jesus encounter with the woman at the well and i invite you to turn there in your bibles as we look at this incredible profound harvest opportunity in which jesus seeks sees shares serves and speaks Starting with verse 1, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that John was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It is not yet Jesus' time. So Jesus exited Judea. When it is time, he will walk willingly to the cross. But it is not time yet. Now, a more direct route to Galilee would involve going through Samaria but that was not the preferred route because you would have to have contact with Samaritans. But it's interesting, the passage says Jesus had to go through Samaria. There was this inner drive. What was that? The closest thing I can think of in my own life, I've told this story to the Shepherdology group, but I'll I'll tell it to you. So about four churches ago, I was uh, in a church. God was doing some great things. And I would uh, finished the Sunday morning, and everybody was gone. I was the last one to leave the church. And I drove from the street out to the main highway, or from the parking lot to the main highway. And I was prepared to turn right and go to the apartment that I, uh, Rochelle and I were living in at the time. And yet, as I pulled up, there was this... Message. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. Go to Pizza Hut, and and I remember thinking, uh, I'm not really interested in pizza right now. I want to go home and get my Sunday afternoon nap. That's that's what I want. Go to Pizza Hut, and I had this conversation. I said, Lord, if this is you, I don't want to miss out on something that you want me to do. So, okay. I'll go to Pizza Hut. So I went left. And uh, the town I was living in, there's only about, you know, five or six restaurants. It's a smaller town, about 8,000 people. And uh, I went to Pizza Hut. And so I'm walking through Pizza Hut and then there's lots of people from church. Hey, good to see you. What's going on? Hi. And so I kind of moved through the restaurant and I came to this one table and I there was a two women at that table, and one looked up to me and just tears started pouring down her face. I'll call this woman Amber. That's not her name, but Amber had come to Christ about three or four months before. God had done something incredible in her life, and she had brought a friend with her to church, and she and that friend were having a conversation at Pizza Hut, and her friend was asking all kinds of questions about what does it mean to be a Christian and things like that. And Amber had prayed, God, I don't know how to answer her questions, but I know Pastor Jim would know how to answer. Would you please send him here? (laughs) So I'm assuming about that time I heard, go to Pizza Hut. And God was in that. So Jesus is going to go to... Galilee and I don't know exactly how God did it but God said you need to go through Samaria now as we will later learn this is not about an appointment with a woman at the well alone this is about a whole village that is ripe this entire village the people of Sychar somehow there had been a work of sowing going on And God had prepared them, and so Jesus had to go because these were people who were ready. We don't know what the sowing was, but God knew. Maybe God was, in fact, all sowing ultimately is God, his spirit preparing hearts, but that's what happened. It was the sixth hour, which probably was 6 p.m., The location of this well is near Mount Gerizim, which was an alternate worship location, whereas the Jews recognized Jerusalem. Mount Gerizim was, for Samaritans, their worship center. Now, Jesus was tired. He had walked 34 miles from Jerusalem to this location, but he was able to initiate a gospel conversation despite being worn out. Which leads me to principle number one, don't let tired make you miss an opportunity. Sometimes when God wants us to share with somebody, it's not optimal circumstances. Now, Jesus is later going to explain that a ministry opportunity will actually put fuel in your tank. If you're tired, one of the things you can do is cooperate with what God wants you to do, and it will put fuel in your tank. But don't let tired make you miss an opportunity. Billy Graham wrote in my autobiography a number of years ago called, appropriately, Just As I Am. And he recounts a conversation he had with... uh, John Kennedy, just after he had been elected, but before he had actually taken office. And after the election, they were at a meeting together, and uh, Billy Graham was walking out of the location, and uh, JFK pulled up in his vehicle, others driving, and stopped and uh, said, Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit. And here's the conversation. JFK, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Billy Graham, I most certainly do. Well, does my church believe it? They have it in their creeds. They don't preach it. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. And so Billy Graham explained what the Bible said about Christ coming the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and then promising that he would come again. And then Billy said this, only then are we going to have permanent world peace. JFK said, that is very interesting. We need to talk some more about this someday. Several years later, at the 1963 National Prayer Breakfast, Billy Graham had the flu, but he gave a talk, as did... John Kennedy, and as they were walking out of the hotel, JFK turned to Billy and said, Hey, Billy, could you ride back to the White House with me? I'd like to see you for a minute. And Billy said this, Mr. President, I've got a fever. Not only am I weak, but I don't want to give you this thing. Couldn't we wait and talk about this some other time? And the president was very gracious. He said, Of course but the two never met again because JFK was killed later that same year. Don't let tired get in the way of sharing. Verse 7 there came a woman of Samaria to draw water and Jesus said to her give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink Since I am a Samaritan woman For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans The no dealings prohibition does not prohibit A Samaritan and a Jew from uh, getting food They went into the village to get food But from handling shared vessels Jesus takes the initiative to start a conversation That's the speak one right? She is a social outcast, a despised Samaritan, a woman, immoral, but Jesus sees something in her. Jesus knows what's in the heart of people. He knows what's in the heart of this woman. Uh, In John 2, 25, it says, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man, he knows what's in people's hearts, his spirit can actually direct us to the right person at the right moment. Really surprising conversation between a Jew and a Samaritan, man and woman, stranger to stranger, respectable Jew would never do these things. Ah, but here's a principle if you want to go preach, you may have to start a conversation with someone outside your circle. She seems indifferent maybe even flippant probably not outwardly someone you would think of as ripe fruit but she did engage in the conversation she didn't check out and exit and just go right and walk away Jesus answered and said to her if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him And he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep, probably about 100 feet. Where then do you get this living water? He's saying, if you're shocked by my request for water, how amazed you would be if you really knew who I am and who is asking There's three kind of points of inquiry here. What is the gift of God? Who is speaking to you? And what is living water? There was, okay, what is this gift of God? So who is this? Jesus continues, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The word gift, Dorea, is only found here in the Gospels, but it is used four times in Acts, and in every instance it refers to the Holy Spirit. So he's saying to her, I have a gift for you. That gift is the Holy Spirit. Uh, She talks about he doesn't have a water pot which is probably a vessel on a long rope. That's essential equipment. How are you going to not just get water, but get living water, which the phrase she uses makes us think she's referring to spring water. How are you going to actually get your bucket down to the spring? She is a water pot, which was essential equipment. How are you going to do that? He says, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. She does not see. She says, you know, you are not greater, and it's a second-class condition. It basically anticipates a negative answer. You're not greater, and you're not than Jacob, are you? But there is something he's offering that answers to a deep longing. She has been trying to fill her life with something that is only making the void greater. She's been married five times, divorced, five times living with someone now and Jesus saying I can give you something that will satisfy your soul that will actually become like an internal source of hydration for the spirit permanent hydration of the soul is that of interest to you what's Interesting to me that Jesus is doing, here's another principle, is he shares the gospel by making a life connection to the listener. He sees who she is. And she's trying to fill the void, but what she's doing to fill the void is just making it greater, making the need more acute. The gospel is good news. And for her, the good news is, is that it satisfies something that nothing else can. So if you were to share the gospel by making connections to the listener, you would ask questions. You would say, so what are you wrestling with right now? What are you struggling with? If you could fix one thing in your life right now, what would that be? Jesus is responding to that question by talking to her about the water. You know, I can look back at my own life. I've told you something of how God brought me to himself. I came to Christ at the age of six, maybe seven. I don't remember the exact time. But at the age of five, I had witnessed the death of my three-year-old brother and, in fact, felt responsible for his death. I'll give you details at some other time but I felt like I had contributed to the death of my brother. And I knew I was a sinner and that I needed forgiveness. So at a vacation Bible school, when I heard the speaker talking about, you can be forgiven, my heart leapt at that possibility. And I went home, I was too embarrassed to, you know, go forward, but I went home and I prayed, Jesus, I want to be forgiven. Jesus is doing the same thing here with the woman and you can do the same thing. Find the way by asking questions that the gospel answers to the deep longing of the person you're talking with. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. I love Jesus' strategy here. He appeals to her sympathy. Give me a drink. To her curiosity, if you knew, to her desire for ultimate rest and satisfaction, whoever drinks the water that I give will in no way be thirsty again, forever. And to her conscience, go call your husband. He addresses himself to every phase of her personality in order to reach the goal. Her answer seems guarded, yeah, I have no husband. Don't ask me anymore. What she said was true, but there was so much more to the story. Now, in this culture, divorce was most often initiated by men. I'm not saying that's right or wrong or whatever. I'm just saying that's what is. So it is high probability that five times she had been told by a husband, I don't want you as my wife anymore. Her response shows that she regarded the living water as a convenience, something to make life easier. But she's at least been able to admit something is missing. And in a few sentences, Jesus showed he knew all about her. Five marriages, now just living together. He revealed her history and her sin. These are far greater problems than hydration. Identify, here's your principle, identify the connection between points of pain and what Jesus provides. All around you, this week, you are going to encounter people. If you were able to ask them and have a heart-to-heart conversation, you would discover ways in which they are in pain. How is Jesus the answer to that? we well, are going to have to ask some questions to find out where the pain is. Her greatest problem is not travel and effort for water, but a deep longing in her soul for something that satisfies. And this is about using the the perfect tract. It's a just right, just in time answer. And Jesus is telling her, you have a deep longing I see that let me tell you what answers to that and ultimately he's going to be able to say and I am the answer to that. Disney World's been in the news a lot lately and I won't get into all that but I have a friend who used to work at Disney World. She was one of these characters who would Uh, lived at the Disney World Hotel or wherever it was. She was a college student on a gap year. It's a program they have. And so she would come to Disney World every day where she would don the costume and play the part. But she was going through some incredible hard stuff. Uh, You know, it wouldn't take much for her to be broken and in tears. So she's riding on the shuttle to the staff entrance. She has her card that you need in order to get in. And as she's fumbling with her purse and whatnot, that card falls between the seats on the shuttle. That was kind of the last straw. She's just going, God, what is wrong? So she reaches in between the seats to try and get the card. And she pulls out a tract from some guy in Mississippi, some church in Mississippi. Now she's able to retrieve her ID card, but she pulls that out and she reads it and she starts sobbing. She gets off the shuttle and she's not going to wait. She calls the number that is on the tract for the church. And she gets the pastor. (laughs) How often does that happen? And he shares with her the answer to this deep longing. All around you, you're going to encounter someone this week who is like that woman on the shuttle and is desperate to hear that there is an answer to the deep pain, the deep longing, whatever it is. And it's found in Jesus. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, Samaritans believe the Pentateuch. Uh, They don't believe in the rest of the Bible. And in the Pentateuch, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. So she apparently knows as much as is found in the Pentateuch that God is going to raise up a prophet. She makes an accurate assessment of Jesus. He is the prophet who follows Moses. But then she attempts to deflect an admission she has a problem. And she goes into this Well, I have a worship question for you. Now, Jesus could have gone for the jugular and say, Stop trying to deflect me. Let's get back to the tract. (laughs) But he patiently answers her question, answers it fairly. He's gracious. He deals with her question. The nearby mountain, Mount Gerizim, was the Samaritan worship center and a rival to Jerusalem. And her question was, Well, where should I go to worship God? Now, he does say, You worship out of ignorance. In other words, by devaluing the remainder of the Old Testament, you're at a disadvantage here. But a day is coming when worship is going to go all terrain. Physical location is not going to matter, heart will matter. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. He's looking in this room. For spirit and truth worshipers. And he's going, I like that worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. This is so bold. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Father is looking for spirit and truth worshipers. And Jesus' earthly ministry is going to transform worship into an activity that does not require a certain place. True worship will be from the heart, which is something that is not true of Jewish worship at the time and it's based on truth which the Samaritan religion was not Jesus answers clearly and directly he says I am who is speaking to you now this literal translation I am the Messiah why nothing so clear in Israel I don't know but it's astounding that the Messiah is talking to her. And she believes it. Jesus has been incredibly gracious to her. Principle express grace to sinners. She goes back to town and she says, he knew my history, but he talked to me about my past, my questions, what I long for. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? Or the Messiah, is it? they went out of the city and were coming to him now the conversation with this woman is probably summarized but she has made two observations he knows my secrets and he is most probably the Messiah she puts it in the form of a question this is not the Messiah is it I think she was probably convinced but in her report to the village she was saying could this be him She has known incredible rejection, but Jesus is not rejecting her. That is grace. She summarizes by saying, Jesus has hit upon the defining events of her life. And perhaps some wondered, does he know about me? She raised a question. She didn't make an assertion. So meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Bingo. Food doesn't matter so much. He's not saying that rest and food and drink are not important, but they matter less to him than doing what God wants. That puts fuel in his soul. Sowing and reaping nourishes the soul. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together For in this case, the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus is telling them, you see a bunch of people to be avoided. These are Samaritans. Here's this woman. Jesus says, I see grain ready for harvest. Look at them my way principle people are not the problem it sure feels like it Jim people are not the problem sin is the problem and Jesus is the solution now I am having to personally work on this principle Uh, for example I drive from Eads to the church most days and that means I come on Walnut Grove and I come through Shelby Farms where I don't know if it's a game for certain people or whatever, but they love going 80 miles an hour and zooming all around. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And so it is very easy for me to think, how can I discipline these people? (laughs) (laughs) They're crazy. And part of me wants to thwart their craziness but here's what I'm currently working on. I am trying to remember sin is what makes them crazy and I am gonna pray for crazies. (laughs) Now again, you'll have to understand, I'm trying to work at this. Not always successful. We live in a crazy world, but people are crazy because sin makes them crazy. And if that's the case, I know how to fix that. Jesus is the solution. All around you are crazy people who are crazy because sin makes them crazy. But I know the answer, so do you. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. (laughs) This is unbelievable. How interesting that there is this amazing citywide response to Jesus what a contrast to the Jews. Now, it's true that in some villages of Samaria, they wouldn't even let them come through. There are times when they would. we want nothing to do with this Jesus. But in this particular village, here is a city-wide revival sweeping through the people, at first because of one woman, but snowballing into countless independent acts of faith. They're concluding, he is the savior for every man. Not just Jews. Remember one of our S's, Cher? He stayed there for two days. What would that be like? To have Jesus stay with us for a couple days. (laughs) How did this happen? Find ways to go deep with those whom God has prepared. And that's what Jesus did. He stayed for two days because very clearly God had been working. I don't know if there were some others who have sought to minister to these Samaritan people prior to Jesus coming. But the people were ready and they were prepared. And Jesus says there are sowers and there are reapers. Remember how Kathleen shared with Winnie? She shared her story last week. She was sowing. We don't know what's going to happen, but God wastes no sowing. Not everyone around you is ready. Some are. Find out what someone is struggling with, then explain how Jesus could answer their deep need. And if they are ready, they will respond. And if they are not, you will have sown, and it will be worth it. Basically, here is what Jesus is telling us, go make disciples, how do I go? Seek the lost, see their need, see who they could become, share life with them, serve their good, speak Jesus, let's pray. Father, you have left us on this planet precisely because you have something for us to do, which is to do in our villages what your son did in Sychar. And so we're pleading with you that you would help us to see and to seek, to share, to serve, to speak. That's why we're here. You've told us that you would supply everything we need. You've said, behold, I'm with you. I'm pleading with you to partner with us as your people that we might represent Jesus and the gospel well in the place where you've put us. Father, there may be someone, you already know the state of their heart, that each person in this room is going to come in contact with this week. Show us how to be faithful. Show us how to do what is needed. Show us how to go to Pizza Hut. However you want us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.